Welcome aboard. I'm Brad. I'm Eric. And I'm Scott. Welcome to My Ship Story Podcast. This is a podcast where we invite crew members, both past and present, to tell their stories about life at sea. So come up to the pool bar and grab a drink. Sit back, relax, because it's time for My My Ship Ship Story. Story. (laughs) That was terrible. Who's the one with the OnlyFans page? Oh, that's me. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, I tried. I tried to get an OnlyFans page and I was denied. Talk about a blow to your ego. And I had all kinds of pictures ready to go. I mean, I was yeah. ready. There's someone to get denied an OnlyFans. That's Brad. All right. Well, let's let's get started. Let's get started. Hang on a sec. Welcome, everyone. It's another episode of my Ship Story Podcast. Hey, we're going down under again, two times in a row, back in New Zealand today. Got with us a special guest from New Zealand, but uh, let's check in with the guys first. Um, Eric, what's going on? Tell us your real estate story. That's what I'm going to tell you. I had a wonderful real estate day. I had closed on a house. I had a listing that I had for sale under contract, and I got some buyers under contract. And we we had our pool pump replaced. The pool is open, and it's it seems because it just gets overly worked so place. much that you never get in the pool, right? Did you get the liner done too? Yeah, so the liner's done. Filter's been replaced. The pool pump has been replaced, and now we're going to redo the decking around the pool. So let's refresh come, everyone. So let me out. let me ask Eric, how many times this year have you gotten in the pool? None. <laughs> Although we've been getting into the 90s, so maybe tomorrow, I don't know, maybe tomorrow I'll get in the pool, we'll see. Yeah, sounds good. Scott, what's up? Uh, nothing, just uh, just kind of hanging out here at 11 o'clock at night in the uh, in the central U.S. Actually, you know what? I went to Alva. I don't know how close you are to Alva, but it's about five minutes from the Kansas border. Everywhere is a long way from Alva. <laughs> yes, it is. It's two and a half is that hours. A town? From here. Is that a town? Very small town. Very almost like literally five minutes from Kansas. What? It's not a small town. It's got a. It's got a university. Northwestern Oklahoma University. Yeah, the, that power, the football powerhouse. Yeah, football powerhouse. <laughs> the fighting. Um, Redbirds, I think, something like that. Oh, I don't know. I have no idea. Well, it was small, but anyway, I went there for a a barbecue competition. I hate it when I can't remember mascots. (laughs) (laughs) I think the definition of small town is going to be very different for you than it is for me. Well, small town, we would say that would be Faye, where Brad's from. Right. Right. Yeah, I compare everything from Faye. Anything that's uh, over 50 people, that's big. That's a big town. No, <laughs> I think that anything less than about 30,000 is a small town. Oh, okay. Oh, shit. That's half well, Oklahoma. Then how was a small town? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let me, oh, let me, not say, let me say town. this real quick. So, so while I was there, like every time I go to a barbecue competition, if it's out in, you know, a small town or something, um, you know, last, last time, the last competition, I went by the outsiders, the movie outsiders house museum. That was totally cool. And this one wasn't as big, but, you know, so I, I visited the big attraction there, uh, even though it was very small, but it was very cool, I thought. But it was called the Divine Artisan Water Spigot. And this guy had drilled in 1953. Uh, he had drilled down, struck an aquifer, and it's been running at 60 degrees since then. And he's left it in his since died, uh, you know, a number of years ago, but he had left in his will 
that he purchased the water, the land around it, and it always has to remain free and open to the public. So people of the town go there every week, every couple of weeks, and fill up fifty to hundred gallons of water. But it is so I dumped out like five of my bottles of water and filled it up, and it's perfectly clean, sixty degrees, which is cold for water. And brought it back. And I mean, it tastes awesome. I thought that was cool. I, I've never heard of that. That's oh, a divine artisan water. Spigot. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. Hey, yeah. let's get to our guest today. Like I said, um, our guest today is is in New Zealand, but um, I don't think that's where he's from. But we're going to find out all about him. Um, welcome to the show, David Rich. Thanks for being on. Thanks very much. Pleasure to be here. See you guys in the flesh finally. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You told us you'd been listening to the podcast a little bit. Um, tell us uh tell us a little bit about how you got started working on ships. How where'd you get the idea? Oh, um finished school in ninety-five and then got sucked into the hospitality uh, industry in South Africa, where I was born. And where in where in South born, Africa? I was born in Cape Town. Then when I was about eleven we moved up to Johannesburg. And that's where I finished my schooling and kind of carried on there. And yeah, I got into hospitality and in about two thousand and one I left a restaurant manager job and uh, this isn't really for me. So I can't remember where I heard heard about them, but there was an agent in South Africa called Cruise Alternative. Uh, uh, agency, uh, should I say, and they were running seminars. So I, I went off to one of them and um, tickled my fancy. So um, I applied and we went away for a three, four day training course, drank a lot of beer and carried heavy trays around. Um, but yeah, no, we had a good three, four days with a whole lot of other people that were interested. And um, yeah, it's, um, got through that. And um, well, then my application was accepted. And um, in June 2002, I flew out to Miami for my first contract as an assistant waiter on the Millennium Celebrity. Oh, celebrity. Did you oh. did you apply to many different cruise lines, or was it kind no. of up to the uh, to to the? It was up to flights. the agent. So agent, was, agent. That's what I'm trying to think. Yeah. Um, so I think he was in. Well, it was Apollo Ship Chandlers. Um, ah, he yeah. Was involved with. So then, um, yeah, and I think the agents main job was to get everyone to get through their first contract and not leave early kind of what the whole thing was about you know just stick it out stick it out stay there and then i think he got some sort of money back from apollo um because i think yeah we had to pay for our first flight um out there to 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 miami and then after that uh, once you made it through your first contract you it, it, it was paid for by the company all right so so you should Started out as an assistant waiter. That's a tough gig. Yeah, it was. Oh, absolutely. Everyone starts as well. Everyone. Um, yeah, as an assistant waiter. Yeah, it, it, it was tough. <laughs> so I'm just curious, how different was the, like how the job was portrayed to you to the actual job? It was pretty good because the agency had was, you know, had been on Carnival, I think, and he had done the whole assistant waiter waiter thing. So we got his um, outlook on it. So um, yeah, it was good, but there were quite a few people, especially uh, South Africans, that after the first three months just said, "Not we out of here," and a little bit disillusioned. But um, yeah, I've I've sucked it up, and really can't complain. David, let me let me ask you this: While you're in wherever for training and stuff, did you did they train you on like those big trays? Because I remember on the cruise seeing the giant trays with like one or two entire tables stacked up like of you know 20 plates or something i mean how, how does that go yeah we could do 16 
placed with the cloche on um, per tray. Well, and, and sometimes you'd get a, six, a 20 or 24 seater station, so you'd have to run twice, you know. So, um, yeah, it was pretty. <laughs> but, yeah, basically for our interview kind of thing, we had they, they put a whole lot of big bricks onto this tray, and you had to hoist it up on your shoulder and kind of walk 100 meters with it. And yeah, did and, you uh, did you or did you know anyone who ever like didn't get the balance thing? Uh, obviously, you learn that pretty quick. But <laughs> take a plate off and the whole thing goes over. Yep, me. So after five, I think my first contract was about seven or eight months. Um, after six months, I got promoted to a waiter. My first night going up the escalator from the galley, the whole tray came down and just. Wait, 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 wait. There was an escalator from the galley? Yeah, yeah. Yep. It was a so it was a double story dining room. Right. Um but it was just the, one main galley, so you they didn't have a galley on each floor. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, that sounds like Ooh. a recipe for disaster. So it was an escalator, yep. And you know, when you think of 16 plates with food going down an escalator. The escalator carries on going, carrying all that stuff up, and it eventually jams the escalator up. <laughs> I was going to say all the food gets in there and mixed it. Yeah, mixed yeah, yeah. In. Oh, totally. And the, the, the whole thing stops. You've got 2,000 people in the dining room and a whole lot of assistant waiters behind you, too, with, with trays. And yeah, that was a risky for disaster. Um, oh, wow. And, and something that, that land people don't realize everything's always moving, even though it doesn't yeah, feel awesome. like, even though sometimes it doesn't feel like the ships are moving very much, yeah. it's moving. It's moving around. Oh, yeah. 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 So you have to deal with that. That's, I think we've talked about this about, we, we all had this thing for a while about setting things down or, or putting things in a certain place where it's not going to move. And that sticks with you for a long time. That's still, that still bugs me to put a drink on the edge of the table. I'm like, (laughs) well, a a, a neat trick they taught us was, especially on our waiter stations, which was kind of a marble smooth top. You'd, they'd take cling film and put it on the top, and then nothing would actually slip off there. Oh, okay. That was all sorts of all sorts of tricks. But even for ship people, I once went on a sailboat, and that was a whole different thing. If you go on a small, you just oh, like yeah. it's it's oh. so much worse. But anyhow, Let, hey, let's get into the ship story. Are you warmed up? Are you yeah, are you sure. Ready? Yeah, let's hear Absolutely. one. Hi there, my name is David Rich, and this is my ship story. So it was on my second contract. I flew into Marseille to open the Insignia from Oceana Cruises. What year and was this? It was in 2003, June, I think it was. So, um, yeah, we opened the no, – I'm, I'm sorry, it wasn't the Insignia. It was the Oceana Regatta. We were in Marseille. We had a dusty, big old ship. We were there for about three weeks cleaning up the ship and getting it ready to sail one of the old yeah. r ships yeah, yeah. i don't sure i don't know which one the regatta was i don't know which one it yeah. was probably well, the r8 first, or so, r7 something, something like, like that, that. yeah so it was the first oceana cruiser ship and yeah so we opened it up oh, well, we were cleaning and the first week i developed i don't know if you know what the spy is on yeah. your eye painful yeah. from all the dust and that it was this big white horrible simple that got bigger and bigger and bigger every day. And at that time, there was no doctor on the ship. So they um, sent me off to, well, the crew purser gave me a address and put me on a taxi and off we went into Marseille. The taxi driver did not speak one word of English. Um, I gave him the address, he took me there, dropped me off and left. I walked into this hospital, I showed them the card, tried to ask me in French what was going on. I didn't understand. I just pointed to my eyes. And <laughs> then... They phoned the crew purser and another taxi came to pick me up and I went to another part of my place. Got out of the cab, 
walked into the rooms, uh, sat down in the waiting room for about half an hour, got showed into the doctor room. I realized I was at an optometrist. <laughs> the guy wanted to make some um, glasses for me. And then, um, yeah, so between Prepacer and myself and a taxi driver, they, we couldn't get it right at all. <laughs> yeah. Eventually got sent back to the, well, eventually they kind of figured it out. And yeah, went back to the doctor and um, got it fixed up, got a patch put on and yeah, it was sorted. But yeah, that's kind of getting things lost in translation, which often happens on the ship. So, so were you working with a patch on your eye for a while? Well, yeah, it just had like a white patch. Yeah, so I was a real pirate. <laughs> did you? Pl- I was gonna say, did you play that up? Alright, you went. <laughs> yeah, do some work for the photographers. It's like pirate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah I, I've had I've had several eye surgeries, and I ended up getting these, you know, these patches, like kind of like pirate patch, and uh, yep. put. You know, th- those were those are way more dramatic than just wearing it like a gauze thing i mean those that sucks get a real get a real patch you look like you've, you've been through some shit i had a, a, <laughs> a, a I, got, I can't remember what ship i was on but i i had a, a sty come up on on the ship and stuff just you know a lot of the wiping your eyes and stuff it just gets infected but i just remember getting a a straight pin and just poking it and then hurt like crap but you put like a, a pin in your eye not your eyeball, but it's a it's like a pimple on your eye on your eyelid. Have you ever had a sty? Yes, I've had a sty. It's been years since I've had one, but yeah. Well, when it gets really, really, you know, I've there, like that. you can see, like it's a little whitehead. We just like poke it out and just yeah. poke it. And... No, no, never done that. No, it just went away eventually. Yeah. Oh no, that doesn't sound cool. I no, no needle or thing is going to get anywhere close to my eyes. No, no. <laughs> But besides, oh, um, my third cruise. I well, were I you finished? The... Sorry, were you finished with that one? Yeah, yeah, that was pretty much. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. But, um, yeah. next one, if um, you're not finished, you're finished now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a pretty epic, uh, epic crew bar story. Um, I was on the insignia, and it was near the end of my third or fourth contract. I can't re- remember now, but a TV, a lifestyle TV program. South Africa called Top Billing. They came onto the ship. They brought two of the presenters on board with the cameraman and the director. One of the uh, presenters was a guy called Bobby Skinstatch, who was the springbok of the, I mean, was the. Uh, Wait, uh, did you say his name was Bobby Skinstatue? Skinstat. Oh, okay. <laughs> Skinstad. Yeah. Um, and he was the ex captain of the springbok rugby team. Um, so, yeah, he was kind of every young man's dream hero at the time. And, um, yeah, we managed to convince him to come down to the crew bar the one night. And, um, yeah, all of us South Africans were just in awe, taking photos with him, getting into down beers with us. And, yeah, 2 o'clock in the morning, I think, that's when the crew bar closed. We ended up in his cabin, like 12 of us. Now, he was in a tiny cabin on the, the lowest floor. It was a guest cabin. And so, yeah, all of us pile in there, take taking photos someone's got a guitar up we're playing guitar and we got a bit hungry at around four in the morning so yeah we called up room service and room service got an order for 12 cheeseburgers in a one sleeper room we realized then someone else was coming in and um yeah all of us disappeared except for him this big rugby player standing in the middle of the room with 12 cheeseburgers coming through the door <laughs> and not one of us was seen so it was yeah we were in the shower behind well in in the porthole behind curtains, behind bed, it was 
never laughed so much in my life. Isn't that I funny that. how, like, no matter how small, because for those of you that, that don't know and you're listening, but how, how big do you think the cabins are for two people? That like They have to be like eight by 10 by eight, 10 by 11, something. I mean, they're very, oh. very tiny cabins, but you have a decent party in there. And like, and like Rich said, there's, you could fit 12, 15, 20 people in there, but mm-hmm. somebody comes knocking on the door. It is amazing how you can hide that many people and shower in, in the in your footlock in your locker under the bed. Like it's mind boggling. And yeah, that was, you know, one of many crew parties we had that are just, you know, crazy nights. But yeah, I think the cruise ships taught me to always be on time for work. Your time management has to be absolutely, you know, because a day off as a as a person in the dining room was um a lunch and a breakfast off on the same day you work every single night pretty much for six months um which i'm sure you, you guys did but you know if you've got a day off um you wake up in the morning you're in a cool port so you drop your laundry off at the chinese laundry you go have some breakfast get out come back grab your laundry again have some you know then still be able to have a nap because you're exhausted and yeah you know so your time management did you guys have a port like like we had Cozumel where we all um, at one point uh, took our laundry ashore and for like 20 bucks they would do a giant amount of laundry or whatever. Did you guys oh, have wow. that or did you guys no. uh, like a crew laundry like no. on the ship? We had a crew laundry, um, but we just paid the, the uh, Chinese guys to do it for us. Yep. And we used to just yeah. We used to just go ashore, and Cosmo was one of the places you do it ashore because it was oh, cool. a lot cheap. It was a lot cheaper than the Chinese laundry. It wasn't cheap. Oh, right. okay. the, Chinese laundry. the problem in in Mexico specifically is one: they would mix your clothes with somebody else, and you end up like all of you are trying to find your clothes. And two, after a while, it all had a blue tint to it. All oh, wow. of our clothes had blue tint to it. It was no longer white. Uh, yeah, so that. Yeah wasn't wasn't great laundry i i I was a chinese laundry guy i i didn't i didn't mess around with that i just sent everything put it in the bag sent it to emptied out my popcorn put uh (laughs) put my clothes in the bag (laughs) sent it down and it all comes back nice and neat and pressed and everything so yeah that was definitely better service but it was more expensive and you didn't get it back in a day wasn't it a couple days yeah it It was a couple days yeah it wasn't and it was great day. for Cozumel because you oh, drop it off as you left for a tour or a beach yeah. trip and you picked it up on the way back. But and it folded was like nice. Six and it bucks, was, $8. It was pretty yeah. cheap. Yeah, it was pretty yeah. cool. It really sucked if you bought like the, the Mexican blankets because, you know, with all the many uh, colors that they had in there, all your clothes came <laughs> back like the color of like terracotta. Now, what year are you up to? You said you, you've gone through oh, like two, three, four contracts. What what year? 2000, so 2002, I started because we had the, the first anniversary of 9-11 when I was on. I was actually on my second contract. I flew back to join the millennium. So yeah, it was a six hour jet lag. I had to get through. And after two days, they said, no, we're going to send you onto the regatta. So they sent me back to France. So I had to readjust to my my jet lag again um and then yeah i joined the ship there then i was part of oceania and then i came back to my stay for my third contract to open the insignia and then i bounced around on the ocean um, on the regatta and the insignia for the rest of my um and these were all celebrity right was that no no this was i did five contracts in total and by 2004 i became a butler so i was looking after guests in the if you know the R ship, the deck eight and deck seven have owners, well, have suites. And then right at the back, there's four owner suites. So 
so you had bigger rooms yeah. with big balconies and etc. Um, Lots of soot problems in those back, those back right, suites. I remember that. Yes, that's right. Constant soot because you know they're on the back, and and the winds would bring that soot right back yeah, into yeah. the balcony. That was a problem yeah. on Song of America too. If you stood outside on, and it wasn't a it wasn't a, a, a nice cabin like this, but it, out on deck, you you'd get full of soot on on Song of America as well. You know, as a butler, we got twelve cabins in total, including one owner to to look after. And um, yeah, in those days, well, I think. By then, it had gone to a prepaid gratuity, so so you weren't kind of trying to hand out envelopes on the last day, etc. Um, it was all kind of sorted, and if they gave you some, you know, a, a tip or something, it would be over and above. So it was pretty cool. How many pullers are 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 there on your on those ships? Four. So each of us okay. had either a port or starboard side on deck eight or deck seven. I am so, I'm unfamiliar with the position of butler because. Really? When I was on ships, yeah. When I was on ships, we didn't have those. Tell us, tell us exactly what a butler's duty was. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, were you the, were you like a glorified cabin steward or? No. So you weren't. Um, you kind of had one foot in the housekeeping and one foot in the restaurant side. So you'd basically look after them if they wanted to do the unpack their bags and stuff. You would, but hardly anyone did that. Um, and it was a pain in the ass if they did, um, because yeah, that took takes about half an hour on invocation well half an hour to an hour sometimes on uh, on invocation day port excursions they wanted that you know fill out the form and and give it to you and you'd sort it out with the concierge or the port excursion team you would be um the go between between the concierge and the guest you'd you'd take their laundry down get it um and get it back to them um you'd do breakfast that that was huge you'd serve them breakfast in the cabins they'd fill out a little Every night, put it outside their door. Well, we, we, we hope they would specify time. And then, as butlers, we'd get in about an hour earlier and set up just trays of like 50, 60 trays, put it, put, put what, uh, whatever they wanted on, and then we'd just run them out, you know, for, for breakfast. We'd organize them bookings in the, in the speciality restaurants. We had two on board over and above the um, main restaurant. And yeah, we'd also on occasion serve them dinner in their suite. So we'd set up the table and whatever on their balcony or in their suite and um, do, do dinner from any of the restaurants and obviously wine, champagne, coffee, tea, whatever they want. And you'd, you'd get to know, you know, Miss 802, she wanted her Earl Grey tea ready for her when they got back from the dining room. So you'd just get that ready for them and, you know, try to get it right every time. And yeah, they'd, they'd love you. When you're doing the, the butler thing and you're bringing somebody, do you ever... Do you ever bring anything or have a weird request? They wanted you to bring their food and you ever walk in on anything funky or weird? Um, no, look, not walking in on anything, but I'll tell you, I've been requested things from funny, well, from strange areas of the room because I walked in the one morning. Um, it's not the hugest cabin. So the first thing you go past is the bathroom toilet door. So it was an elderly couple. She was standing in her underwear and she was quite happy for me to come in so she said, come on in come on in i walked past the toilet and the old man's sitting on the toilet and um was also quite happy for me to come in and i'm like oh sorry i'll i'll, I'll go and he's like no no come on in David. no come and help me please <laughs> <laughs> and yeah you're just standing there bright red you're like oh god what am i doing and she's chatting to you about excursions for the day and what they're going to be doing standing bra and knickers basically and <laughs> You know, he's sitting on the toilet having his morning 
in us, whatever. And uh, yeah, you just got to deep breath and just go on with it, you know. <laughs> they, they weren't uncomfortable. I was the only uncomfortable person in the room, but, um, you know, just went wow. with it. And a few of the times, you'd, um, especially in the owner's suite, you'd have a few parties, you know, especially sea days where um, they'd invite all their friends over and they'd just have a bottle of tequila or a couple of bottles of wine going. And I played a few drinking games with, on, you know, in yeah. their suite. Okay. Well, not really drinking games, but um, yeah, I'd have a sort of wine here and there and make my excuses and go. But um, the best thing to do is to walk around the dining room at night and kind of spot your guests having dinner with someone else and wave at them. And the guests go, ah, that's my butler, you know? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just, yeah. Do you ever have a, do you a, ever wear a butler to like a, like a swing, uh, like a group of swingers or anything? And they're like, <laughs> hey, you no, not <laughs> nothing like that. No. <laughs> well, well, actually, while we, while we're on this, let me let me ask you that, um, in your time on ships and stuff, did you ever hook up with a passenger? No, not um, my first four contracts. I had a girlfriend back home in South Africa. She was finishing a study. She joined me on the ship, and we we managed to organize to be on the same ship. She she was in the bar, and I was um, I was a butler. So yeah, it was. No, I didn't hook up with any passengers. Now, uh, on your on your time on the ship, where was the where would you say the strangest place that you did it on ship? I was a cabin boy all the way. Unfortunately, nothing <laughs> nothing special there. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Well, those some of those small ships, there's not a lot of places you can hide. You know, there's yeah, exactly. just not. Yeah, it's not like some of the bigger ships that you can find like just hidden away places so, yeah so so it's a little tougher so yeah uh, yeah we're talking about seventy thousand ten ships here yeah 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 mm-hmm. so they're not <clears throat> there's not a lot of and oh, the arch ships were not seventy thousand you're talking about the uh, the, the majesty was seventy four thousand oh wait, wait 30 like, no uh, 30 they were maybe like 30 those are those ships were really small um, yeah, 30, 30. This, it had maybe. like 700 guests or something like that. Why well, I can't less. remember. Yeah, about 700. It was about 700 yeah. guests. Um, but yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm just curious. So most of these ships carried, would you say, mostly Americans that you worked on or a good mix of Americans? Yeah. And yep. so um, how was your exposure and transition to working with American guests? <laughs> that was, yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> we, we know we're needy. Took a bit of getting used to and a few culture shocks here and there, but um, yeah, it was great. I um, I've still got one passenger with friends on Facebook, we still talk to each other. Americans were definitely took a lot of getting used to, but once you were there, you know, especially one of your previous guests nailed it on the head when he spoke about that lady in the dining room that walked in with the 20 different bags and the yogurt pot and the oh Oh, man, that really we do not claim people like that, and I don't know if you ever. If you on, on your days on the cruise ship, if you had cruisecritic.com. Cruise what? Cruise critic. Cruise yeah. Critic. Yeah, I'm familiar. I'm familiar yeah. with it. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I'm familiar yeah. with it as well. Well, no. Nope. When I was on, it was a big thing, you know, and we'd get people coming on and telling you their cruisecritic.com rating and who they are and you know, so you know you're gonna be into the high jump with them. You'll you'll get a it, you know, they they basically rate the ship online. So now, what, what did they, would they come on and tell everybody that? Or would they come on yeah. and like, I mean, isn't the, isn't the thing to not tell anybody and kind of go in? That's the thing. So they tell you, so you, they could get better service, basically, or extras or freebies or I don't know. I'm totally yeah, doing that the next time I go on a cruise. <laughs> <laughs> so, David, um, do you have some other stories for us? Go ahead. The we, keep in, I mean, we keep interrupting you, so I, I didn't want to no, get you off good. of a story that you <laughs> wanted to tell. No, that's all good. Um, just where no other job I know would have taken us to where I've been. You know, we did. I did one full contract on the Caribbean. Then after that, it was Europe, 
it was Ahmed, it was Baltic, it was around the UK, down, well, then across to the Caribbean again, all around South America twice, the Falkland Islands, up the Amazon, um, to Manaus, down to Antarctica. And yeah, we never went east, though. I didn't stay on for that long, but I think the most east we went was Istanbul. Were you with Oceania the whole time? Yeah. That yeah, you were on so ships. How how long? So you started in what? 2002? Two. And when did you finish up? Uh, 2006. Oh, okay. Pretty good little run. Yeah, so it was a good five, five years. From the start of my time on the cruise ship, I, I was kind of at the end of the slave labor kind of thing where they just work you to the bone. Um, I think by the end of our first contract, we had time cards that we had to pull out. And every now and then they just pull you off a lunch or breakfast service and say, go back because you're working too much, you know? Wow, they did that? <laughs> Yeah, that's Not, a, yeah. Yeah, no, I'll tell you right now because I, 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 when I worked at Princess, I had to go with an attorney to interview crew members because there was a big class action lawsuit against Princess at the time. But a lot of the cruise lines have gone through this about making sure that we are the companies were managing and understanding how many hours crew were working. So that either one, they got paid overtime or two, they didn't go over the maximum allowed by maritime law. And so it was a really big case that I, and I know I just sat there all day interviewing crew members with this attorney, um, you know, who were going to sign into the class action lawsuit or not, or mm-hmm. however it goes. So, yeah. And that was in the early 2000s. I say early to mid 2000s mm-hmm. where it was a big thing because before Nobody ever checked our the hours we worked, mm-hmm. and there are laws out there about how many hours you can work somebody. Now, yeah, you yeah. know, trying to get, trying to get my kids on the ship. Now, that was one of the things that they were like, "Well, are we going to work like ninety hours a week and stuff?" And like the lady that was interviewing, she's like, "No, you have cards now. When you go, you know, when you do work in the theater, what lounge, whatever, you punch in and you punch out, and and you know, you're you're they're only allowed to work so many hours." Or, you know, like you said, maritime law and stuff. So yeah, but it's didn't, still didn't pretty that, high. But. I mean, I think they can, I think it's still like legally they can work you up to 13 hours a day. Yeah. It's still a lot of hours. Legally, they can work you that much. When I first started, we got, you know, we'd get an envelope in, in our first contract with cash. So I went back to South Africa with an envelope in my hand luggage with about, well, I can't remember, six or $7,000 in it. And I was crapping myself because yeah, I'd never had so much money. I don't know. I was allowed to have that amount of money on me or not. But then by the second one, I think internet banking had kind of got better. So I was getting paid straight into my account back home, then had my credit card on the ship that I could use. Right. That that works a lot better than what we did with was all cash. But I remember there was uh, at the port of Miami, there was like a trailer that was a bank. And I don't remember what, what, what bank it was, but I had heard from somebody that worked at, for that bank said that the largest deposits in the entire country were from that branch that worked at the pier in miami (laughs) yeah wow and probably most of those were waiters because they made the most on on the ships yeah yeah but we all got paid cash so i used it too i had a bank account at that that bank and i'd go in and do deposits because what were we supposed to do you know we had all this cash on us well, I never saved anything to get there because, you know, I think I think they did it on purpose. They would pay us like when we pull into Cozumel and then go in there and, you know, I'd, I'd blow my whole check on on the dancers because I was drunk on on rum punch and buy them shit. But well, now when I was like, when I when I was on Renaissance, we, we had direct deposit. We, we, we had and maybe it was because I was U.S., but well, I, I would I would get I would get a a portion of my my check just directly deposited into my account at home. 
So I, and it didn't have, my problem was, is that I didn't keep enough cash. You know, I had too much going home and I'd get, I'd run short on cash. Luckily I had a safe with about a hundred thousand dollars in it, which tied me over occasionally. (laughs) Yeah. Those little spikes in your cabin. Oh man. Headlock. Oh no. I I had one in my office with a lot of cash. Oh yeah. 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 Hey, so David, on your when you were mentioning the, the places that you went, do you have a favorite and a least favorite pork favorite or least favorite ship? Um, I don't have a least favorite ship. They were all pretty much great. And I had I've got such great, great memories in all of them and the people just make it so um my favorite port though, I had to say Barcelona in Spain. That I don't know, it was just, you know, and we'd spend two or three days there sometimes. So I really got a chance to see it a lot. The worst port, Marseille was pretty dull because I spent so much time there. We opened two ships there and that I didn't enjoy it at all. The Caribbean was awesome. I, yeah, there were some of the ports in Chile, in South America, that were pretty rough. Open air butcheries, etc. with yeah. meat hanging everywhere. And yeah, no, that, that was actually pretty rough. But, um, you haven't yeah. been to China, have you? No, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where, yeah, where, no. where it's like cats and dogs. Like, oh, no, yeah, you just no. like pick the animal you want them yeah, they're in cages and stuff outside, and you just kind of no. Or no. they're in, or they're in buckets. They you yeah. recognize a restaurant because it's just uh, tons of buckets setting out front, and you choose, you know, where you want a fish or a frog or a you know Whatever a shrimp else. or yeah, they're they're all there, and you just point point. It. That's, too, too that's what they for cook for you. That's what they cook for you. <laughs> Turkey was another it's place. The bucket menu. Yeah. <laughs> Turkey was another place I didn't enjoy because that was um I don't know, they could smell a foreigner from a mile away and they'd just double their prices, you know. So you'd buy a couple of Jack and Coke and end up paying 40, 50 bucks for it, you know. It's like you know, oh. and you could argue you could do whatever. You weren't gonna win, you know. What made you end your career on ships? What what got you off? You know, so I started when I was about what 23, 24, and I finished up when I was about 28, 29. Every time I'd come home on vacation, your friends, they're now married, they're now having kids, they're now having planning their 30th birthdays. You know, when you left, everyone was having their 21st, and, you know, you're going through that phase. Now you're in this little bubble on the ship by yourself, and you can make yourself as much known to the world or as much not known to the world as you like, you know. So you live in this carefree little bubble, drinking $1 Heineken's in the crew bar, and um <laughs> or one dollar fifty coronas i don't know if yeah i don't know if that price has changed yet oh they but, do because um, when we were out there it was 50 cents a beer oh wow okay yeah in the <laughs> 90s it was 50 cents yep. a beer yeah and that was a heineken yeah. too yeah and yeah kind of i was saving money i bought a little house in, in south africa bought a car got all you know rented out the house just you know kind of started all that um but yeah i just um kind of thought I've done my 10,000 hours. I've had a ball and uh, let's carry on with life now, you know. So it was um, something clicked in my head, you know, that last contract. And I just said, no, that's it. I'm not going back. I'm done. So it was great. But awesome memories, awesome photos, awesome stories and, you know, carry on with life. So, yeah, then I went back into um, the hospitality industry again in South Africa. Met my wife, got married, child. And, yeah. How did you get to New Zealand? Well, just South Africa being pretty unsafe. Um, we we just got an opportunity. Um, we applied to move to New Zealand. We had to get a work visa and restaurant manager was on the sh- uh, skill shortage list. Quali- I-, I qualified for a work visa. So I came over for four months, started the job, organized the house and all that. And then the family followed off for four months. 
And uh, yeah, we've been here and happy ever since. Sorry, doing what in New Zealand? I'm, I'm now working in the theatre as, as a food and beverage manager um, in the Isaac Theatre Royal in Christchurch. Um, but yeah, I started off at a restaurant. Oh, so you're in Christchurch too? Yes. Yep. Someone else? Maybe I missed that part. No, no, you haven't heard it. it. You haven't heard it yet. Oh, we okay, just okay. recorded it last week. Yeah. But oh, we, cool. we, yeah, we had another. Uh, we we just it's it's coming up in a couple of weeks. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, another cool. Christchurch. Well, you know what's funny? Yeah, when you, you guys started, can hook up. Yeah. yeah exactly. When you when you first started speaking, I was like, "Wow, his accent isn't so strong," you know, because we had just oh. talked to. Uh, a kiwi last week and whose accent okay. you know is is very typical and i was like wow that's a really mild <laughs> new zealand <laughs> accent <laughs> i worked with one kiwi person on the cruise ship actually over all my years and one australian do you want to tell us anything else anything else you oh, want to um, with? starting on the cruise ship as an english-speaking person is challenging because you're kind of walking into a dining room that's full of non-english speaking people and so you immediately become a target you're like well that guy you know so yeah, you get your cutlery next or your, you know, <laughs> um, get a bit of a hard time from everyone. But um, yeah, I stuck it out and I recommend it to anyone to go work on the cruise ship and to experience it. It's a lot of hard work, but you know, work you hard. Guys ever played, do you guys ever play jokes on anybody or anybody ever steal your silverware or plates? or? Yeah, of course. That was, so when I was a waiter, my waiter's job while we were having our waiter briefing was to like do this mission impossible crawl around the dining room to find leftover cutlery or extra cutlery or steel cutlery from someone else because mine had been stolen so yeah it was like this he had this whole thing and i'll go do it now and he'd sneak off behind one of the waiter stations and literally crawl under tables to other people's waiter stations to find these teaspoons or yeah so no it was um it was interesting Awesome. Well, thanks for yeah, listening. And thanks fantastic. for, especially thanks for listening to, you said you listened to just about every other one. Yeah. I will just ask just as a favor, if you can send my episode to everyone. You yeah. know. I need, <laughs> no, I need no, some love on that. my episode. <laughs> I'm, run, I'm running a, a distant third place. We appreciate you coming on. Great. Right. See you later. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Awesome. Yeah. Good stories. Yeah, no, he's a super nice guy. Very nice. Um, you know, yeah, really cool. Hey, everyone, the ship is about to set sail, which brings us to an end for today. We hope that you enjoy the podcast. For bonus audio and if you would like to see this podcast and video, please visit our YouTube channel, My Ship Story. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as My Ship Story. Don't forget to let us know if you're a past or present crew member and if you have a story that you would like to tell or if you like, you can email us your story for us to read on the air. Email us at myshipstorypodcast at yahoo.com. That's myshipstorypodcast at yahoo.com. Goodbye for now, and be sure to tune in next week, same time, as we'll have a new podcast every Monday. Bon voyage!